I'm Kevin Davis, and this is the Catholic Family Podcast, and we're very happy today be, to be joined by, well, he's down in this corner over here, but he'll he'll be he'll be enlarged here in just a minute. That's Dominic Higuesso of the Maccabean Uprising. We've had him on several times in the last few months to talk about to talk about, yeah, I guess what what are the words? The mirroring, the the yeah, the thing, yeah, the, the things in common from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Gospels and the the, the Novus Ordo Church or the the church, you know, as we see it in the last hundred years or so, it's very fascinating stuff, and, and it's something that that Dominic has spent years putting together this information and researching it and putting in detail after detail after detail. And it's it's fascinating. And, and before we get going, we do want to say that it is just really his own research. We're not we're not priests. We're not theologians. We're not you know any any authority. This is just two guys talking about interesting topics. Now that means pretty much take it as you will. But that being said, it's really fascinating. And to me, I find it something that really helps me to yeah to learn my faith and to to understand it and to. I don't know, just have an interesting conversation. I mean, really, today we're going to talk about America and and the the, the ancient world, you know, ancient Rome, and, and and how it kind of reflects on its on on each other. And okay, I guess that's not really too much about our faith, I suppose. But but you just see kind of how God works in in yeah. in mysterious ways and glorious ways, and and that's really interesting. And so so again. Take it for what it's worth. You don't have to believe any of this. This is totally opinion. It's fine. Don't freak out about it. If you have any questions about it, it's fine, first of all, and then go talk to a priest. But but Dominic, I know, wanted to, before we get started, wanted to, to pray a Hail Mary. First of all, maybe so that our our all of our tech kind of goes right, which which is always um, an if. But um, right. also, of course, that, that, that the information is good and that that we, you know, are, as always, as we, we both, I think, try very much to do to to further God's glory. So so Dominic, if you would let's let's please um um say a Hail Mary. Ah, absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God pray, pray for us for sinners, sinners now and at the, the hour, hour of our death. Our death. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And this reminds me that I had a little picture of our lady that I wanted to put and um because we flipped around the the screens there, I'll put it back over here so we can see her. Perfect. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, great. Um, thank you. Um, uh, there's a lot to talk about today. I have a ton of information. Um, can, can you hear me, by the way? I, can't I hear you fine. Time. I hear okay. you fine, yeah. Always worried about that. Um, so um, you, you mentioned that, um, yeah, today we'll do Rome and America and to see how, uh, amazingly, just, just how we did it in previous uh, um, episodes with you, the first one I did in, in, in terms of like prefigurement was um, the Old Testament and church history prefiguring. And um, what I want to, this is like a corollary of that, today's uh, presentation, because inside of the Old Testament history is the history of Rome. It, it's part of that Old Testament history. There's not a whole lot of, about Rome written into the, into the Old Testament until you get to the very end of the Old Testament. But nonetheless, it, um, Rome was um, settling, uh, uh, it was growing as a, a city and it was expanding as an empire during the time of the Old Testament. So, um, that's kind of what I want to start with. I mean, it, it does kind of like touch upon our faith a little bit in the end because we're called the Holy Roman Catholic, the, Ro the Roman Catholic Church. So we even have Rome in our name. Um, um, so Rome has always been central to uh, church history and even to the Old Testament times because it was um, what would they call it? The, the eternal city. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, so um, I guess we'll start with um, start with this. Uh, this is a refresher, but this is um, the 
the Old Testament on the bottom and church, church history on the top. And of course, we can't go through it all again, but we do have that one episode where you interviewed me, I think two months ago, where we went through this. And basically the premise is, is that all of church history prefigures or is prefigured by the Old Testament in chronological order, even Vatican II at the end. Um, so that being said, let me go and show you here how Rome fits, in, fits into this because there we go. Okay. So here you have um, the start of America really was the Jamestown colony in 1607. Um, and the Rome started as a colony as well in 753. So that's where you have Romulus and Remus. They're going out from their, was it their grandfather, um, Numitor, I believe, is, I forget his name, but um, there was a king of Alba Longa and they wanted to start their own city. And they, they had that legendary fight. Um, there was the, the fight between the Palatine Hill and the, let's see, I'm, I'm forgetting the other hill that Remus wanted. Anyway, um, that started in seven, 753 BC was when they were founding Rome. Uh, Jamestown colony was 1607. You could see on this uh, on this chart here that those two uh, times are the same if you look at the parallel system. Um, 753 BC is contemporaneous with uh, Four Kings, chapter 14 and 15, which is right in that period there where it's highlighted. Um, what was going on in church history was that was after Luther's revolt and after Christendom was split in two. And in the Old Testament, that was after Jeroboam's revolt and the, the nation of Israel was split in two. So that's in, in that same period there. Um, and so let me move on from that a little bit. I just want to first want to set the, set the foundation that this is part of the system of parallels that we're going to go mm -hmm. into. That, that makes sense. Okay. Well, and, and again, as you say, I want everyone to know that we will, we will of course, share a link to that original podcast um, because that might help explain. If you haven't seen that original podcast, I, I, gosh, I don't even remember the name of it. Um, church history, parallels of church history or Old Testament, New Testament, something like that. Yeah. I'll attach, I'll attach the link. And, <laughs> and maybe it, okay. really though, if you haven't seen that one, maybe go watch that one first. We'll attach the link, go watch that one and then come and watch this one. Cause I think then you'll, you'll get a bit, a bit better of a grasp of, okay, what on earth are you guys talking about? I think yeah. A little more sense. <sighs> All right. Exactly. Um, um, okay, good. All right. So, um, then this is the map of Roman history. I'll start here now with this. Um, and we, we went over this also very quickly in our last interview when we were talking about a different subject, even still, right. <laughs> but, but, um, let me just, I'm going to, I'm going to take myself out of the way for a second so you can see better. All right. So, um, if you look on the very left, you have the founding of Rome in 753 in the Jamestown colony. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to fly through this because I have a lot of information to cover today. Um, so then Rome and America both were, or Jamestown were both ruled by Kings. If you notice, um, uh, at that point onward, we had, um, the, the British Kings rule over the colonies and the Roman Kings. Um, rule of Rome. There are seven of them until Rome founded its republic, and likewise, America founded a republic as well. Um, so um, th this is what we're going to cover today. I have a lot of detail, um, but uh, this is this is the, the skeleton of Roman America, and these are the big uh, parallels here. I'm going to get into some of the details in, in a little bit. Um, before I start, though, I want to show you um, this real quick because um, this even goes back deeper than Rome and America. Um, Rome, um, Rome was. Um, uh, probably a, a really a Greek colony to start with. All right? um, the, obviously, the, the legend of Romulus and Remus is probably a legend. Um, obviously, they weren't demigods. Um, the, the legend of founding of Rome has that Romulus and Remus were sons of the god Mars, um, which obviously is just a legend. It's a pagan legend. Um, but really, um, you'll find that there's evidence that um, Rome was a Greek colony. And the ancient Greeks colonized the Mediterranean like the British colonized the world, right? Um, in the 1800s. 
So again, going back to that system of parallels that I showed you originally, the British and the Greeks have a very intense chronological series of parallels between them. Like the, the Hellenization of the world was like the um, Americanization or the Ang Anglicization of the modern world. Like, you know, uh, they speak English in India and Australia and, you know, all over the world has English speakers because the British colonized everywhere, just like the Greeks did here. So, um, so if you kind of go backwards from the founding of Jamestown and the founding of um, Rome, you'll even go back further and see this colonization period that was taking place. Um, and even prior to that, this is, this is going way off the chart, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Um, the fall of, so remember that this is going to be <laughs> way back, but the Iliad and the Odyssey, which are those Greek legends, the legend of the fall of Troy, which is in the 12th century BC. Uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's definitely a legend. And it's thought that the, the Iliad and the Odyssey were, were historical accounts written into like a legendary story form. Um, they, they obviously weren't true, right? Achilles wasn't invincible except for his, his Achilles heel and there's, you know, all those things. The Odyssey of DCS when he went out and fought the, uh, the Cyclops and Medusa, all that's just a legend. But there's um, similar legends in English history as well. So like what I'm saying is, remember, the Greeks and the British have these parallels. Um, there's the Arthurian legends of King Arthur and, and the Round Table and Lancelot and Guinevere. So they have, um, if, if you go back to the, the fall of Troy, you have this figure, Helen of Troy, who was kind of seduced by Paris. Um, you have those same things happening at the, in the Arthurian legends with Guinevere and Lancelot. And I don't want to get into it all, but you can trace all of those legends in Britain to the legends of Greece, and you see parallels the whole way through, right? So I'm saying how deep this goes, like the roots of these parallels go all the way back. The fall of Troy is like the fall of Jerusalem. And I guess I'm getting way off the charts, but I just want to kind of lay that out there to start with. Um, and then I'm going to show you this as well. Um, this is this is just a quick graph that I did a long time ago that shows if you look at the sea, the sea charts and forget the land things, look at the sea uh, categories and you'll see at the beginning of Greek colonization and the, the beginning of English colonization. They, they parallel, and so did their endings. The period, the end of the Greek colonization period ends just about when the British were wrapping up their empire period in the early 1900s. So I just want to, again, show how systematic and thorough this is before I start talking about America. Um, like I said, I'm going to pack a lot of information into this podcast, so I do apologize for your brains being blown up. But, um, you know, I got to – I want to get it all in. All right, so now we have um, – let me go back here for a second. Okay, the beginning of – Okay, yeah, here we go. The beginning of Jamestown. All right, so I'm going to switch over now to um, some slides. Okay, all right, so here we have a Jamestown and early Rome. Now, both Jamestown and early Rome, um, they um, uh, had, uh, uh, were founded by men. So remember, the, the Romulus and Remus, they started Rome, and the way they got colonists for their new city was they attract all of the the, the outcasts the, of, of, of other cities, like um, the prisoners or the exiles or the, the criminals. And so they had a bunch of rough and gruff men in Rome and they had no women there. So Jamestown, same thing. The, the, they had an early problem in the Jamestown colonies. I just to get something up real quick here. Sorry about this. All right. Um, all right, here we go. Okay. So uh, Jamestown had no women as well. So they had to mail order in brides from England, which they came, you see a picture of them coming on a boat and all the men or welcoming the women. Now the Romans, what they did was they had something called the Rape of the Sabines. They had no women and therefore they knew their colony wasn't going to advance. So they went to a neighboring tribe and they stole all the women. Um, and so what happens next is, um, um, oh, I'm going to go back a little bit here. Okay. So um, the, the the Sabine tribe, they, they realized they had all the women stolen from them and they go and they start to, uh, they go to attack the early Roman colony. 
And the, the Sabine women, they come out in the middle and they throw their hands up and say, listen, we stop fighting. We don't want our fathers, the Sabine men, to kill our new husbands, the Roman men. So they they made a peace between the two. Um, and that's that was this, the Sabines kind of like kind of uh, became friends with the Romans at that point. But it was because of the Sabine women who were just stolen from the Romans um, hmm. who did that. Now, in, in uh, Jamestown colony, you have uh, the early colonists. They didn't have they had a problem with women, but they solved that with the mail order bride uh, scam or uh, ordeal. But they did have a problem with no food. So they were going to starve to death. So they stole food from the those at the Poeton tribe. And um, they were going to kill. Remember the story of James, the James Smith, the, the 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 legendary founder or the leader of the Jamestown. John Company. John Smith. Jo yeah. John Smith. All right, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so um, remember they were going to kill him, and then Pocahontas comes out and throws her hands up and says, "Stop, stop!" Right? She goes on to marry one of the um, the Jamestown colonists and goes back to England. So you know you have Pocahontas being like the Sabines here, kind of stopping that that initial uh, slaughtering of the early colony. Let's see. Um, Go on here. Okay, so uh, the Jamestown colony was the that's where the House of Burgesses started, which was the very prototype of the American Congress. The House of Burgesses turned into the Continental Congress, which turned into the American legitimate U.S. Congress. So you can see its progression from that Jamestown colony. That's why Jamestown really is like the the nucleus, the start of America, because the system of government came out of Jamestown and grew into the Virginia colony, which grew into the center of American politics or American government. Um, and so the same thing happens with Rome. Romulus starts the Senate in, um, in um, Roman history. And then that, that, that keeps on blowing, growing and growing until you have the full-blown Roman Senate later on. So um, that's that's why I pinned Jamestown to Rome. They both ruled under kings for a while. Let me go back to that slide again if I can find it. And kind of go back to this for a second. Okay. So they're both ruled by kings. Uh, okay. Right. And then... The republics formed in um, 1776, uh, well, it's in 1789 together, I guess you could say, and Rome forms its republic in 509. And again, they they match chronologically, right? So, um, and just to show you that I'm not skewing these numbers, in the top of the graph, you have the 100-year in increments, 1600, 1700, 1800. On the bottom half, it's like 120, 170-year increments, 175. So I do a little rounding, but it's pretty close. But um, so, so the increments aren't changing. Um, and so they actually, when you line them up, they do actually line, they parallel, right? The, the time, the chronological um, nature of them are lining up. Um, you just have to change the time scale on the bottom and the top, but it's still amazing. Um, and then when you get to the end of the graph, you can see that I, those time scales break down a little bit because I go from 2000 to 2020. But similarly, I go down in the bottom, I go from 40 BC to 1 BC. So I just change that, I, I elongate that last period in case you're wondering what's happening. Okay, there's a lot going on. Um, now, both Rome and America... They go on to um, uh, they go on to um, get my slideshow here. Start expanding into their um, to their uh, peninsula. Here I'll show you this one. Okay, here we go. All right, this is America and Rome's expansion between um, America eighteen sixty one to eighteen sixty five is a civil war, but but America has this thing called manifest destiny, where they they feel like they're they're destined to to, to conquer the whole. Uh, continental USA from 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 coast to coast, and they do that by 1865, and Rome does the same thing by 275. So um, what's going on here is um, the Roman road system, which is in the center of the peninsula mostly, and the American railroad system. Um, that gives them the ability to quickly send troops and supplies and communications throughout the peninsula very quickly. So um, there's there's a war here called the Pyrrhic Wars in 280, which I'm showing on the left side, and the Civil War, right? In both cases, 
Rome has to, um, they, they win this victory against the, the southern Greek colonies, um, mostly because of the road system. So have you ever heard of the, the thing, there's a there's an expression called a, a Pyrrhic victory. So if, if I say, well, I had a Pyrrhic victory, it means that I expended so many resources or troops or money to win that was basically like I lost anyway. Um, you know, victory came at a very high cost. And that was named after these Pyrrhic wars that happened. There was a, a Greek general named Pyrrhus who beat the Romans in a battle, but he lost so many troops in doing it that he said, if I if I do that again, it's like, what's, what's his quote here? He says, if, if we are victorious in one more battle with the Romans, we shall be utterly ruined, is what his quote was. Hmm. Um, and that's the civil war where you have these massive loss of troops on both sides. And it's like, what are we fighting for? We're losing so many soldiers. Um, the reason, though, that the Romans beat Pyrrhus, even though they're both losing massive amounts of people, was because Rome could resupply so quickly, because Rome had the roads and the south didn't. And those Roman roads gave Rome the ability to quickly get troops down to the south and also communicate very quickly, whereas the, the southern uh, forces couldn't. Just like in the American Civil War, the south didn't have the railroad system or didn't have the telegraph system nearly to the extent that the north did. And because of that, even though they were both losing massive amounts of troops, the Union could re resupply their troops very quickly, and the telegraph system of the communications go so well. And that enabled the Union forces to defeat the Confederate forces in parallel. Um, I'm going to show also on this map what's going on here. Is, there's, on the left, it says Magna Gratia, and in the north, you have New England on the right side. Um, remember I told you about the parallels between the Greeks and the English? Well, there was this part of southern Italy that the Romans um, called Magna Gratia or Greater Greece that they loved it as a, an elite resort spot. So there was um, all of the educated and very intellectual Romans um, would go to Magna Gratia for learning. And they'd also go there for resorts and retreats. It was like the elite getaway spot, just like Martha's Vineyard or New England is for us. All of the Ivy League schools are in New England. And like Martha's Vineyard, like I said, is where Obama has that mansion and Bush does probably too. And that's where Joe, uh, Joe Biden always goes on resort all the time. In fact, uh, Tiberius, one of the later emperors, was accused of like always hiding out in his resort in Capri and never um, like going to Rome to administer the, the government, just like we're saying the thing, same thing about Biden now. Like he's like, oh, well, he's always in Martha's Vineyard or in Connecticut and he should be in Washington, D.C. But um, th these, are, these are more general parallels, but I just want to throw them in there. Okay. Um, now with Rome and America, they both expanded through the use of treaties. So, and, and, and war and conquest. Let me go back to this slide and show you that for a second. Okay, um, I have to keep on pulling this up every time and it slows me down, but uh, all right, here we go. Okay, so the the, uh, the Romans fought the Samnite Wars and other wars like the Latin Wars and the, yeah, okay. And these wars were wars with tribes on the peninsula they had to conquer in order to take up, to get the whole peninsula for themselves. So they fought, um, they fought some of them and they offered treaties with others. And many times the treaties they offered, most, every every time they didn't, make the the, uh, the 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 tribes Roman citizens. They just let them have a little place to self-govern and um, to kind of live in Rome's shadow, but they didn't, they weren't Roman citizens in, in, until a certain point they were, but I'll get into that. And the same thing happens with the American Indian Wars. As America's, look at even their headdresses are the same. I, it was amazed to find out that Sam Knights had feathers in their hats. I was like, what, whoa, they have feathers in their hats? Like, that's amazing, right? So, the, uh, but the Americans are fighting the same thing with the American Indian Wars. And the same thing we do with Rome wherein we have reservations for the Native Americans, the Indians, and we let them self-govern. They weren't American citizens until, until 1924, where President Coolidge uh, granted citizenship to all Native Americans, just because at that point, um, America was so um, pervasive and situated and strong that it didn't matter if they were citizens or not. Um, so we just said, go ahead and be citizens now. 
But the same thing happened in Rome. They had a war called the Soshi War or the Social War, where the those little tribes that have been assimilated or almost assimilated finally won citizenship rights as well. And that parallels the time period is all parallel. All right, Whew, I'm trying to cover a lot. I'm gonna move on here to um, I did the Pyrrhic Wars. All right. Um, okay. So now you have. Um, let me go back to this again. Rome also had a period here where they were fighting for political rights. Um, remember the, um, and let's go to America first, but the early American voting system was just for uh, white landowners, usually kind of wealthy. And um, then the, uh, in, there was a, a political disagreement or a fight that took place. And it kind of ended in 1870 with the 15th Amendment, which gave all males the right to vote, um, even freed slaves, and you didn't have to be a landowner anymore. So the kind of disenfranch so the disenfranchisement of the lower classes was was over, and now they could vote again. They could vote now. Rome had the same thing called the conflict of the orders. In early Roman history, you had to be of the patrician class to uh, to govern. Um, the Senate was um, just patricians, and so the, the the plebeian class, the lower classes, they pretty much went on strike, and they 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 kind of subterfuged a lot of things until finally they were given also a, a representative body in the Roman governing system. It was called the, the, the what was it called? The, uh, I have it written down here, but I can't remember. Um, oh my goodness. Oh, cons, concilium, yeah, concilium plebei, I think it was called. Anyway, um, that, that was settled in 287, which is, again, on the parallel chart there, that happens just at the same time as the 15th Amendment's coming in, into play. Hmm. Um, you have uh, George Washington going back a little bit. He's like Cincinnatus. We talked about that in one of the last podcasts. But basically, Cincinnatus was... Um, he, was a, he had a little farm in Rome, but he also was a capable general. And there was a particular uh, tribe that was threatening Rome. And they called up Cincinnatus as a dictator. And they said, go take care of the problem. And he had those powers of a dictator. He didn't have to you know, get permission from uh, uh, the Senate for certain things. He could just go out and act. And he, he, he settled the problem very quickly. And he, he by law, he could have been dictator for another year and retain that power, but he didn't. He, he, he said, I'm done. I serve the Republic and I'm going to go back to my farm and just kind of be poor and be a farmer again. Well, George Washington was, was hailed by um, a French author and has been seen as a new Cincinnatus many times over because he also was given the same kind of uh, opportunity. He was made the, the commander in chief or the general of the, of the, of the uh, revolutionary forces. And he won, he won the battle he won the war. And then he laid down his, his, um, his, uh, uh, generalship or whatever. And he went back to his farm in Mount Vernon. And so they were so impressed by his by his civic virtue that they said, well, how about you be the next president? Um, and that's the same thing with uh, Cincinnatus, or the first president. Cincinnatus also has made the consul of Rome, which was the equivalent of a president, um, because of the, the virtue they saw in him in not trying to retain power. They saw, they saw in Cincinnatus somebody who was not going to um, use the opportunities of his position to further gain for himself, but to serve the Republic, right? And that's the altruistic beginning that both Rome and America had. The Constitution was signed in 1789, and the 12 tables were the same thing in Roman history, because the, the 10 tables, actually, the first 10 tables were the basis of, of Roman law going forward. And they had to amend the 10 tables to add two more because they wanted to give more rights to the common people, just like how the Constitution has amendments as well. Okay, I'm going. You have the American railroad system and the Roman road system. We talked about that. All right, now I'm going to go forward a little bit here and move forward from this. I'm going to stop me if you want to say anything, please. I was talking all the time. There's the, okay, now you have the labor wars. I might kind of get into that a little bit here. All right, um, here you have um, the Roman slaves at one point. They rebelled it. There's three separate 
wars called the Servile Wars, where the slaves rose up and they tried to assert themselves over the Roman um, uh, government of the people uh, and try to be freed. Well, in, in America, you have this the labor wars, which I, I didn't know much about these. I was amazed to find out about them. So basically, you have all the Irish immigrants, mostly Irish immigrants, but a lot of immigrants are coming in and um, they're making them work in, in West Virginia in the, in the coal mines and other places as well. Maybe Pittsburgh had some, some servile work of these. And they were just very low paid. There's a song out there. It's an old American song. It's like it, the, the lyrics go, you load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Okay. So the idea was is that they were giving, they were paying these uh, workers in the coal mines with company money and they control the prices in the company store. So no matter what these people did, as hard as they worked, they kept on going more and more into debt. And so they were keeping them in a virtual servitude, a slavery of kind. Well, they rose up and it was the Blair Mountain Revolt and they tried to fight back. The Americans sent in, the American military came and suppressed them and said, you go back to your coal mines. So the same thing, Romans, Romans did the same thing with their servile revolts. They, they suppressed these poor people horribly. Okay, um, then here, I'm getting into some later ones, but let me see what I have first. I'm all over the place. Okay, oh good, we're on track. All right, all right let me show you something here real quick before I start this one, if I can remember where I put it. I'm all over. Um, sorry, just ignore this for a second because we'll get into this in a minute. Um, no, not that. Let's make sure I find out where. No, it's not that. Okay, wrong, wrong screen. All right, maybe it's over here. Oh yeah, it is. I see it now. Okay. All right. Oh, forget about that one. Okay. All right. So this is where we're going to start here. These are the major. Uh, there we go. Okay. These are the major American politicians, and I'm missing a lot. I know that this is a this is a very cursory overview, but these are some of the major politicians. Or you can even say that the major political eras from um, after World War II to Trump, our present day. And on the bottom, you have the same thing for the Romans. You have all of the major um, Roman politicians that, um, that were from um, the Punic Wars up until our present, up until the end of the, <laughs> up until Augustus, we'll say up until Augustus. Um, I should mention here real quickly that, let me go back to this for a second. I should preempt with this screen, is that the Punic Wars, if you look in the bottom of the screen, the Punic Wars start in 264, the end of 146 BC, and the World Wars are similar in American history. Um, the Punic Wars were significant because after Rome filled out its peninsula in 275, they started to come in contact with other empires. Um, and the first one they came in contact with was the Carth Carthaginian Empire in the south. And that's uh, the story about Hannibal Barca taking his elephants across the Alps and, and, and scaring Rome horribly. Um, so uh, Hannibal was the boogeyman for the Romans. I mean, they would scare kids with tales of Hannibal. Hannibal's going to come get you. You know, um, we had the boogeyman in the world in the World Wars, which was uh, Hitler. We had our boogeyman as well. And so, what happens though is when the Rome wins the Punic Wars, it sets them up as the superpower now in the Mediterranean Ocean. There's no one left to contend with them. And the same thing happens with um, the Roman Wars or the American Wars after after our victory in World War II. Um, we we were undisputed. Well, let me get to it. Not quite, right? We had the Soviets, but I'm going to get into that. But anyway, the point, the point is that both wars launched um, American Rome onto the international sphere, the international scene. All right, going back to this. So um, on the top, you have Eisenhower, the Kennedys, Nixon, Reagan, Bush, um, the, the Obama, and Billary, Hillary and Hillary and Bill. I call him Billary. Have you heard that before, Billary? I think it's pretty funny. Yeah, okay, right. And you have Obama and Trump. All right. So on the bottom, you have Gaius Marius, the Gracchi brothers, uh, Sulla. Pompey Magnus, Julius Caesar, we've probably all heard of Julius Caesar. You have Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and you have Augustus Caesar, right? So those are what we're going to have to cover here in a second. Um, am, I, am I skipping anything real quick? I'm just checking around to make sure I don't miss anything here. 
Uh, you know, let me, before we do that one, let me go down this rabbit hole for a second. I'm going to show you this. All right, this, I'm gonna, this, is, this is interesting. It's, this relates to the Vatican too. I'm going to touch upon this and then I'll get it done with and move on. But this is a map. Um, this is a slide of um, – uh, I'm sorry to do this to you. I always do this to you. So much information. On the left side is Alexander the Great's conquest. And after he dies, his, his empire is divided up into four parts. On the right side is um, the four-part division of Germany after the Allied nation's victory of World War II. And without getting into details, Alexander the Great and Franklin Roosevelt, they both they both served for 12 years. They both died suddenly. And after they died suddenly, they both had their empire divided up into four. Um, so um, this is this is the, the picture of that. Now, uh, the next one is... Okay, this is a, another map of this. This is the same split up with nicer graphics. You have the, the purple is the Seleucid Empire. And the yellow is the Ptolemaic. Um, the other two aren't important, but the Seleucid ones would really want to show you because the Seleucids are the ones who ended up in the books of the Maccabees. They're the ones who came into the temple and set up that abomination of desolation that we talked about in the system of parallels prior. And that that period that 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 period that parallels Vatican II, right? Just because the Seleucids went in and put up a second altar and stripped the ornaments out, just like how the communists infiltrated um, the Vatican under um, Paul VI. And remember, Bella Dodd said, and she testified before Congress, that 1,100 communists were put into the seminaries in the early 1900s right. or something like that. Right. right. Okay. So, so the communists are infiltrating the church like the Seleucids infiltrated the temple. And um, um, okay, the reason why that's important, right? I just want to establish that. Um, the Seleucids, okay, here we go. Um, there's a story in it's uh, Antiochus. Antiochus was a Seleucid king, and um, this is how this relates to Rome now. Okay, we're going to go back to Rome. Um, he um, he was trying to expand his influence in the in the West. Let me just go back to the slide for a second. So he was so as Rome is expanding after the Carthaginian after the Punic Wars, the Seleucids are expanding westwards as Rome's expanding eastwards, and they kind of meet down here in Egypt, down in Alexandria. So. They had a cold war actually too. Um, just like America and the Soviets had a cold war, so did the Seleucids and the Romans. Neither of them fought each other directly, but they fought through proxies and through diplomacy and like things like that. So now um, as Seleucids are expanding westwards, this is Antiochus the king. He goes to Egypt and he starts putting his warships in the in the Alexandrian harbor. And the Romans send an envoy down and tell him, like, get him out of there. We don't want your ships down there. This is Egypt's Roman territory, right? And so um, Seleucid, the king, the king um, Antiochus uh, says, um, let me go think about it. Well, the Roman envoy, he draws a circle around uh, the king's uh, feet. He says, don't leave this circle before you give me your answer. Either you're, we're going to have war and you're going to get your ships out of the harbor or you're going to retreat and, and um, you're going to take them out. So but he says, don't leave the circle till you tell me. So Seleucid, or Antiochus was embarrassed by this, but he he capitulated. He said, okay, 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 we'll take, I'll take my ships out of Romans, uh, uh, Egyptian harbor and we'll, we'll retreat, right? And so on the, the right side, you have um, the, the Soviets who are like the new Seleucids. They start putting their missiles in Cuba. And so Kennedy says, we're going to put up a, a, a quarantine line around Cuba, these circles, right? And he says, um, if any uh, Soviet ships are found to enter the quarantine line, they're going to get sunk. So basically the same thing's happening here. They're putting a circle around Antiochus, they're a circle around this, uh, the Soviets, and they're making them decide on the spot, what are you going to do? You, 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 if you cross that line, you're in trouble. The same same kind of scenario. And both are humiliated. Remember uh, Khrushchev, who was the one who was starting this uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, he also was embarrassed because he, he had to turn around and leave, and he kind of lost face um, with his, the Politburo in Back in Moscow, they, they they ended up throwing it out because of this eventually. Anyway, um, now this is what's significant. So right after Antiochus gets embarrassed, he goes back to 
um, Jerusalem and he puts up the, um, he goes and he invades Jerusalem. And it was, it was the next year. So he gets embarrassed in 168. He goes to Jerusalem in 167 BC and he invades Jerusalem. He puts up a second altar. He strips the ornaments down, which is the Vatican II of the Old Testament. So the same month as the, the Cuban Missile Crisis is when Vatican II starts. So yeah. if you have like right after the Missile Crisis is over, Vatican II starting at the same time, which is the new, uh, the, it's the parallel for the Seleucids um, uh, putting up a second altar and stripping the temple and all that stuff. That's what's happening to Vatican II, which is amazing because you can see here how the church history intertwines with the secular history of the Old Testament or of, of our time, just like how the Jewish history um, uh, intertwines with the, the 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 secular or the profane history of the ancient world. I mean, they, you know, because they're they're part of the same world, so of course they're going to interact. But I just want to kind of get that out of the way and show that, which is pretty neat. Interesting. You know? Wow. Okay, there's something else after this. I'll get into that later, but we're going to move on here to. Uh, let's make sure I don't miss anything. Okay, what do I have under this? Okay, I have that. Okay, I cover all this stuff. Okay, I'm done with that. Okay, all right, and this. Okay, we're getting into that in a second. Oh yeah. Okay, this is also um, where we're going to start with. This is just an, uh, this is a blown up version of of um, the first graph. Remember the first chronological graph. This is the same thing, but it zones in on after World War II and after the Punic Wars. And if you can see here, I, I color coded things. You can loosely see what, how it goes. Um, remember the name, the Gracchi brothers. We're going to talk about those Gaius Marius. We're going to talk about him. Sulla, um, Pompey, Caesar. They're all these are the names we're going to talk about in a second. But you can see how the color coding. You can see how it kind of like loosely kind of parallels um, all the way through. Um, and I should put a caveat here. I should say that um, the parallels between church history and the Old Testament seem much more clear and distinct, whereas the Roman uh, American parallels. They're definitely there, but they the, the the pieces move around a little bit. So what I think I've seen or found or noticed or whatever is that you take a Roman figure like Caesar, and you're going to break out his characteristics and his actions, and they break out into like Bush and Clinton or something like that. So like the two proximate American presidents both share in Caesar parallels. And if you kind of slide that time work time back, you'll see that it slides backwards. So like Eisenhower and Nixon both share in the Marius parallels. So it's a sliding thing, but it is chronological, but it's not like one for one. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of that's the best way I can describe it. Sure. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go here to this next one. Okay. Um, oh, this is something I'll get us out of the way too. Um, this is another expansion of the Roman and the American empire, so to speak. But this gets us to the Ukraine war real quickly. I'm going to show you that. Yeah. I'm glad I'm doing this. Okay. Oh, wait, stop it before it gets any further. Ah, where am I at? Okay. Um, all right, good. All right. So what's happening here? I need to go back a little bit. Okay. So this is the point when, oh no, sorry, sorry. Okay, this is the point when um, in Roman history, remember I said how Rome was expanding eastwards and the Seleucids were expanding westwards, and they meet uh, right here. Well, actually, they don't meet uh, first. They um, the Seleucids right here it is the Seleucid kingdom gets um gets uh, disbanded. All right, um, Pompey Magnus goes and he 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 ends the uh, the Seleucid kingdom, which is on on life support at that point. And um, just like how the Soviet Union crumbles in 1991, and Reagan's the one who's who's witnesses that, and you'll see that Reagan and Pompey parallel. Um, but what happens after the Seleucids are um, um, they they get kind of like the they get disbanded that the Parthian Empire rises up and and, and takes their place. So um, just like how after the Soviet Union falls, you have this new Russian Federation like forming with Putin. And, and so if you go down the, the line a little bit here from this point, you'll see that they meet, they meet at some point in Armenia. So right here, under during Nero's time, right, Nero, um, 
has this war over this Armenian territory, and both Parthia and Rome are putting puppet kings in there to try to get this puppet king to pass policies favorable to Rome, and then and the Parthians uh, uproot him and put a Parthian puppet king in, and back and forth, back and forth. Same thing's happening in Ukraine now, where we had we had an American uh, puppet prime minister of Ukraine, and then uh, Putin rolls in and puts his version in, and then then we put we put Zelensky in, right? And so the same same phenomenon is happening, and it's it's the same expansion. Remember. Um, we hear criticism of the Ukraine war. It says NATO is expanding too much. You know, Putin says, you know, NATO is just coming too close. And I, that's it. I put a red line there. NATO can't go any further. Just like how Rome is expanding too. And there was this kind of like they wanted to have this buffer zone. So if the parallels hold, what we're going to have is the Ukraine war will fizzle out. And there's going to be like this kind of like this uneasy peace uh, in Ukraine as there was in the Parthian territories. Okay. I just want to get out of the way because I'm going to go back now to the, the meat and potatoes of everything. All right. Now. Oh boy, where are we at? Um, uh, okay, here we have Eisenhower and um, and Marius. Let me go through this quickly. Eisenhower and Marius were both war heroes turned into presidents or consuls. Um, so um, uh, Eisenhower, um, he was a, a, a victor, a, a hero of World War II. Um, he, he got a start as a, as a as a general, really because or pop, a popular general because of his victories in Africa. In North Africa, same thing with Gaius, Gaius Marius. He um, he was such a, uh, a brilliant general that they called him to be the the, the consul of Rome. Um, remember, so Gaius Marius, though um, he um, he suspended, he, he made the argument that we had to we had to compromise the ideals of the Roman Republic in order to save the Republic. So he would he would act like a dictator, and the, the Romans put up with that as long as they kept them safe. And in the Eisenhower years, you had the McCarthy area, the big red scare, where McCarthy was calling everyone a communist. And it started to get to the point where the Americans were saying, wait a minute, we're starting to compromise. You're acting like a dictator here. Like you just say the word communist and we all have to run in fear and we have to fire somebody and we have to get rid of them. You know. And so the same idea was that the big red scare was so bad that we had to compromise our, our Republican ideals a little bit in order to save ourselves from the Russian threat. And that both was happening at the same time. Um, let's see. Uh, moving on. From him, I can just get to the next one. Okay, now you have the Gracchis. I'm um, going down the line in Roman history. Um, the Gracchi brothers—they were upper middle class Romans. They weren't quite patrician class, um, but they were upper middle class, and they wanted—they they were very idealistic. The, the left one was called Tiberius. The right one's called um, Gaius. Tiberius, the left one, was very eloquent, um, lofty in his speech, whereas Gaius was fiery and emotional. And they both had the same cause, they had different approaches to it. Um, they were trying to get more rights for the middle class Romans who were disenfranchised after the Punic Wars. And so um, they angered the Roman patrician class very much because they, the patrician class saw that their power and their money and influence was waning away. And these guys, these, uh, these Gracchis were becoming very, very popular. And um, it scared the patricians in that they thought that Gaius or uh, uh, Tiberius Gracchi was going to become a king and do away with the Republic. That's what they were saying, at least. The, that's what they were, that's what the patrician class was saying. So they assassinated Tiberius. And then Gaius comes and takes his place. And he was also assassinated by the, the Senate as well. And that was a heartbreaker because it was like it, all of the, 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 the rank, all the lower class Romans, they this thought like, oh, look, our, um, there's no justice anymore. Like it's like, I guess the the rich are just going to always rule over us, and we have no recourse because that will kill us if we don't listen. Hmm. Um, 
um, and so, and we see the parallels very clearly with with the Kennedys. Obviously, I don't even have to go through them, you know. But but just to point out that John F. Kennedy was very lofty and um, and eloquent, whereas as Robert was more known to be emotional and vitriolic. Um, both with the same, they both assassinated as well. So then, and they're parallel as well. Okay, at the same time this was happening, ah, go back. At the same time this, this was happening, Rome was establishing the grain dole. And so Rome, because of their newfound wealth after the Punic Wars, they start giving free grain to the Roman citizens. The same time America passes the Food Stamp Act in 1964, and both the grain dole and the food stamp or the welfare program, they they both like get out of control. Like all, throughout Roman history, by the end in, in terms in the time of the Roman Empire, they're giving out um, massive amounts of free grain and wine to people. You know, like free wine and like you know, the, like there was a massive good population. to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a massive population of Roman citizens who didn't work. They just went to the games had their free bread, had their free wine, and just maybe had a little fruit on the side somewhere, but that, that was good. And, you know, we see the parallel in America very clearly um, happening. And we have our games too. Like Rome had something called bread and circuses, and they, they intentionally kept their Roman citizens fed with free food and gave them free entertainment as a way to pacify them because they were afraid of riots erupting in Rome. And, of course, we have the massive entertainment, all kinds in America, but we have our bread and circuses as well. Um, then we have, okay, the next thing happening here is, um, this is the assassination of Gaius. There's Robert and Gaius. There is, um, I should just play this. Okay, there's the assassination of Tiberius and JFK. Um, there's, this, there's this particular detail about the head of um, Tiberius. This is kind of an anecdotal thing, but um, Tiberius was given a speech, and in the speech he was pointing to his head um, for some particular reason. I can't remember what it was. And the Senate said, look, look, he, he wants a crown on his head. He's trying to make himself the king. So, um, so they went and killed him because they, they they claimed that he they thought that he was trying to put a make himself the king, and of course JFK there was this focus on his head. I don't know what this is a very anecdotal little thing, but it caught my caught my attention nonetheless. All right, going going to the next one. Oh, I lost my slide. Everything's falling apart on me. Right, um, and this is okay, JFK, a food stamp. All right, next is Nixon and Sala. All right, so. Um, Sulla is the next major political figure that comes onto the scene. He comes after Gaius Marius. Um, so Sulla was part of Marius's troops. He, he fought with Marius, and then he later disagreed with Marius. But um, similarly, Richard Nixon was, uh, he got his start under Eisenhower. So even like the way these politicians come up, they come up under each other in Rome and in America. So um, Sulla he had a problem that Rome had a problem with the war veterans. They, they promised the, the Roman veterans that they would give them some land or some money after they, all their service, they came back with nothing. Like the Roman soldiers would go out onto these campaigns further and further away from the Italian peninsula. And in doing so their farms fell apart and the rich patrician class scooped up their farms and turned them into these massive farms. And the Roman veterans had to come back and find a panhandle in the streets of Rome. They had like they were just left out in the dry after the after the um, the wars were over. So Sulla took a lot of disenfranchised Roman veterans and he marched with them back to Rome and, and captured Rome. This, the, the march of the Roman veterans. And during Nixon's time, you had the same thing happening with these um, Vietnam uh, war veterans. They came back to you know nothing. Um, um, what, what was happening in America was um, the, the 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 oligarchs, the corporates, the corporate elites, whatever they were consolidating their power so much. That um, like the old American farm is going by the wayside. It's like in in, in Rome the same thing. So now you have um, uh, all these veterans and other people all going to the cities in American history more and more to find increasingly less less productive, less less uh, lucrative employment. And they they weren't the masters of their own farms anymore. 
Um, but anyway, so Nixon has all these veterans come back and they had that march in Washington, D.C. and they camped out in the Washington Mall protesting the policies of the of the Vietnam War or whatever. But the point was there's this march of veterans on the city, which was pretty cool. Um, Sola was the very first unelected leader of Rome. And Nixon, after, after he retired, uh, Gerald Ford was um, he, because he was the vice president. He was the he was the next uh, person in line to be the, the president. But the problem was the, the problem. The situation was is that um, Nixon's first vice president was was his name was uh, was his name Spirit Agnew. I forget his name. Something Agnew. Spirit Agnew. Yeah. Spirit. Right, okay. So he had to resign, and so Nixon took on Ford. But when Ford became president, he was he was never elected. He was the first unelected president in American history. He had he was never like he was appointed by Nixon and then been put into the position of the presidency. Never elected, he never was on any ticket, any kind of uh, campaign or election ticket. So they both the first, and so also Sulla was the very first person to open up diplomatic relations with Parthia, just like Nixon was the very first president to go into China and open up diplomatic relations with China, the communist China. Okay, there's more to this. Let me just um, where am I at here? Just turn the page. Um, Okay, so uh, Sala was known to be ruthless with his uh, his adversaries. He kept a list of political opponents, and he was ruthless. He, he exterminated them, and this was a very brutal time in Roman history. Nixon had this list called the Enemy, what was it called? The Political Enemies Project, and then he 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 put the IRS out onto them. He he would use all these backhanded tactics to undermine his opponents, political opponents, with the IRS, or he'd take away their federal grant approval. He would tie them up in court proceedings because he had the power of the, the the purse. He had the money to to you know tie up his opponents in these litigations. And he, anything back backhanded he would do. And remember, they called him Tricky Dick, and that's probably one of the reasons why. He also, of course, was involved in that Watergate scandal. So what what, what we're seeing here in Roman politics is that it's becoming increasingly. Uh, uh, guerrilla, it's like guerrilla warfare, right? Like Sulla brings a new element of, of carnage and viciousness into the Roman system that previously was also was driven by like the, the idealist, the idealist ideas that, that Cincinnatus uh, personified earlier on. Now it's becoming like a, uh, it's becoming more brutal and more doggy dog. And the same thing's happening in American politics, starting with Nixon and going forward. Now, um, who came up after uh, Sala was, um, this is the Roman games and U.S. pro sports. I mean, it's a pretty easy one to see. Um, then you have, um, who came up under, so Pompey Magnus comes up under Sala, same as, um, Reagan gets his start in the, in the early days of Nixon. He wasn't really part of Nixon ticket, but, um, so both Reagan and Sala, they, um, they have a lot of personal uh, char characteristics that, that are that are similar. They both switch political parties for for, for their political uh, gain. They they didn't care about which. Oh, by the way, I should notice. I should mention this. So Rome had a two party system. Um, they were called the optimates and the populare. Uh, the populare were um, about the the rights of the the average lower citizens, and the optim the optimates or the optimates they were about keeping the old political the old patrician class in in charge. And that, that really translates well to the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, hmm. the, you know, the Democrats um, are populares. They just they put their finger in the air and say, what does the population want? Okay, we'll change our, our ideas. The liberals, doesn't, nothing's off the table for what we can change and what we can, you know. But And then the, the Republicans have generally been seen as the the party of the uh, the ruling, like the, the rich elites, like the, um, the Rockefellers and, the, you know, the people with the money. Um, that's not always true, but, you know, generally speaking, it, it does translate. So... Pompey Magnus switched from either he was an optimate and then he became a popular or vice versa. I can't remember. But Reagan started out as a Democrat and he switched to Republican. They both divorced their first wives for political reasons. Um, 
if you look back at Reagan, had a first wife who he expressly divorced because of some political disagreement. Um, they both defeated the pirates. So Pompey Magnus was, um, he got called up uh, to help out against these pirates in the Mediterranean Ocean who were disrupting uh, the Roman economy and, and grain shipments and, and, and Roman trade. So at the same time that's happening, Ronald Reagan, if you remember, there was that Iran contra, the Iran uh, hostage crisis that was happening under Carter. And the day that that Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, the, the, it was announced that the, the the crisis was over and the hostages were going to be coming home. Then then there's these uh, hijackings going on during the time of Reagan. He has to put down these hijackings by Muslim terrorists or whatever that that's similar to the hijacking of boats by these pirates during Pompey's time. And they both put down these these different hijackings and pirates, and they're both seen as kind of heroes for doing that. Pompey, um, he was um, he was the one who led the servile, uh, the effort against the, the the slaves during the servile wars. Like remember Spartac the Spartacus revolt where Spartacus mm -hmm. broke out? Okay, that happened under Pompey, and Reagan's known as the Union Buster. So Reagan, remember he, in 1981, he fired 11,000 air traffic controllers, and he busted up their union. And, um, and I was reading some commentary on that. It says, I'm quoting here, it says, many historians see this as the, the beginning of the decline of the American middle class. Um, Reagan, um, even though he's kind of, he's called Reagan the Great. Everyone talks about Reagan, Reagan economics, the Reagan era, the Reagan era. Well, Pompey has this, um, his, he has a, a cognitive, they call it a cognitive or a, they add, a, a suffix to it. They, they call him Magnus, which means the great. They look back to him the same way. They both wear body armor under their under their clothes. Pompey was known for having um, body ar armor under his toga, and Reagan wore a bulletproof vest under his clothes as well. Um, let's see. They both okay. They both established a relationship with God's um, God's temple. Pompey was the very first one to encounter the Jews in Jerusalem and, and start a relationship between them and the Jews. And Reagan was the very first one to open up diplomatic relations with the Vatican. Ever it never happened before in American history. He was the first one to do that. Let's see here. I think I'm covering those pretty well. Okay, moving on. How are we doing for time? Oh, I got to hurry up. Sorry. All right. Um, this is a Bush Caesar. Um, oh my, I'm, I got to fly through these. Okay, so Bush and Caesar, they both um, had this, uh, uh, they both went out and fought wars all over the place. So uh, Caesar, I got to hurry. Okay, so Caesar, um, he went out into Gaul and he started the, the Gallic Wars. He would, and he, he found any excuse he could to stay there. Like uh, there was these there was bickering tribes, the uh, the I forget what their names, the Helvetii, the Helvetii were one, and they complained to Rome, hey, this other tribe's being mean to us. And so Caesar said, oh, I can help you. So he jumped in there and he started, he brought his troops and he started occupying Gaul and he wouldn't leave. Any pretense he could to start another war with another tribe, he would. He would march all over Gaul and he would send propaganda messages back um, about what's happening with the wars back to Rome so Rome could find out. But he didn't, he wrote it in the third person as if it was an objective account of the war, but it was actually coming from him. And it was a political mm -hmm. spin because he had a political spin. And so during the Bush, uh, when the Bushes were starting wars over in the Middle East in Afghanistan, same thing. Um, they would find any pretext to stay over there. Weapons of mass destruction, sure, you know, it didn't happen. It was a lie. Um, you know, the Kuwaiti invasion of Iraq, okay, well, we need to go there and send troops over there now. So it was just constantly this like, we're going to occupy, occupy. Occupy, occupy. The uh, the the B men uh, for this period was versus um, guess if I can find out who that is here. Um, where's it at? No, oh boy. So uh, where's it at? Uh, well, I don't have it. But but so the uh, the Roman um, the in, in Caesar's time, the, the 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 leader of the barbarians. There was they had no leader, but they said we need to we need to get behind somebody. And so this one barbarian named Vercingetorix, he said, I will I will fight the Romans for you. All come under me and we'll fight together. All the Gauls, all the Gallic tribes who were bickering came under him. 
Vercingetorix was a he was a he used to work for Rome. He knew Roman tactics and Roman military tactics very well. And he said, I, I know the Romans. And so he led the, the barbarians. Just like how Osama bin Laden, who used to be an American paid, used to pay, like we, we funded Osama bin Laden during the Afghanistan war against Russia. Right. We right. So like he knew Americans very well, but he came up to unite the Muslim countries against America as well, just like Vercingetorix did to Rome. And and you know, uh some Saddam Hussein's kind of like a Vercingetorix as well. This, you know, this kind of boogeyman. Um I gotta, I gotta move on from them because we're getting way short on time here. I apologize. All right, so uh, this is um, the siege of Alexandria in September 11th. They they have the same uh, parallels in the same time period. So Caesar, he was in in Egypt and he lit his ships on fire. And the question was, did he do it on purpose or not? It's still speculated. We don't know. But he ended up burning down most of Alexandria, or a large part of it. But he destroyed the famous Library of Alexandria by doing this. And so, but you have this connection with the ships. His, his ships bringing down uh, this this very iconic building. And so, you know, the conspiracy theories about 9-11, did the American government do it? We don't know. But the planes brought down this iconic World Trade Center as well. Then you have, um, uh, okay, here's this is the important one. So Caesar, he is in Gaul and he's getting very popular because of his, his, his reports he's sending back about the war and the Romans love him. But then the Roman Senate says, we need to get rid of him. He's becoming too much of a threat to us. So Caesar has to make a decision. Am I going to let them arrest me and take me to jail? Or am I going to cross the Rubicon, which is the river north of Italy, in northern Italy, and bring my forces into Rome, which is taboo? So Rome had, around the city of Rome, they had something called a palmarium. And inside the palmarium, no soldiers or armies were ever allowed to go. It was like their, quote, sacred line. And so um, Caesar broke that by bringing his, his soldiers across the Rubicon, where his, his, his armies were not allowed to be. And he made Rome into a police state, kind of. Like everyone knew like Caesar could threaten them at any time with his army. And um, so so Bush, same thing. America had this understanding that we don't spy on our own citizens. We, we do a lot of things outside of America that we never do inside of America, right? Like they would torture people in Guantanamo. You can't do that in America. We would, they would commit all kinds of, you know, like our, our wars would break. We wouldn't treat people in America like we treat people outside of America. But with the Homeland Security Act, people were starting to wonder, is, is Bush starting a, a, a police state by spying on us? Like no one really thought it was like the case then, but looking back, we see they were spied on us. Like the, remember the phone records that they were, they were tapping the phones and there's documentaries all over the internet that prove that the American government with that, with that one Homeland Security Act, it gave them the legal basis to start, you know, looking for terrorists in America now. We need to find the terrorists in America, right? So that all goes back to Caesar crossing the Rubicon. This stuff gets so deep. Um, here's the, the Gauls in Rome, the Gauls there, okay. Um, now we have Clinton and Mark Anthony. I need to kind of get away from him for a second, but I need to skip it. Um, Cleopatra and Obama. Okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to a different slide to show you these things. Um, what's this? What am I looking at here? Sorry. Okay, that, that's what I want to see. All right. Um, this is um uh, the, the the chronological timeline, but you have okay, we did Bush and Caesar. Now we have Obama and Cleopatra. So uh, um, Cleopatra was um, the, the ruler of Egypt. But so there's a conspiracy, there's a debate, uh, an academic debate as to whether she had a paternal grandfather who was actually a black African. And so some people claim that she did, some people claim that she didn't. But the point though is that there's this debate about it. And anyway, she ends up, um, for political reasons, falls in love, quote unquote, with Mark Antony. Mark Antony, he he betrays Roman sensibilities by bringing her back to Rome and letting her kind of like dictate things behind the scenes. And the Romans were really disgusted by it because he had this, this foreigner 
who is not Roman coming into Rome and all of a sudden right right into the heart of Roman politics and kind of acting as this like and you remember Caesar had an, uh, an affair with her as well. So um, uh, Mark Anthony, or I'm sorry, Augustus Caesar, who's the last person on the list, he's the one who gets really upset about this mostly, and he he demands that that the the sacred um, the temple of Saturn be opened up so he can find out what's in Mark Anthony's will. He wanted to find out if Mark Anthony was going to will everything to Cleopatra against Roman practices and Roman Roman civic virtue. So um, he never got access to that will though, but he claimed that he did. And that that piece of paper was going to prove if Cleopatra really was going to have like a, a say in Roman politics or not. Like, there's a you can look at look into the story. But same thing happened with Donald Trump and Obama. So remember, there's there's a story um, that was circulating when Obama was running for president that he was not really an American citizen, right? And so Donald Trump starts the birther movement, wanting to find that piece of paper that proves that Obama really was from a foreigner, just like how uh, Augustus was trying to find that piece of paper that proved something similar about Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Obama. It's thought that his his paternal his paternal grandmother was um is Kenyan, and that she's the one who got on TV and I can't find the clip that said, "Oh yeah, I remember it. when he was a kid, he was born here, right?" So th there was that one paternal there's that paternal grandfather thing again, or paternal grandmother thing. Um, Hillary and Obama are like Cleopatra and Mark Anthony because during the Hillary year or the the Clinton years, the question was was Hillary really really running the country behind the scenes? Was she the woman behind the man that was really calling the shots? Just like the Romans were wondering if Cleopatra was calling the shots when Mark Anthony was around. So um, and then you have, okay, at the end, at the end of this, you have Augustus Caesar, who um, he says, we need to go back and make uh, make Rome great like it used to be. Um, go back to our old Roman values, just like August, Trump says now, make America great again. So, um, and man, I flew through that. <laughs> there's there's a lot of details I missed. <laughs> um, sure. Um, let's see here. Um, okay, this is another interesting thing. All right. Um, during Augustus's time, Rome was transitioning from a republic to an empire. Now, it really was going, the transition started with Caesar. Caesar kind of was like a dictator, but unofficially a dictator. And the transition lasted from Caesar to Augustus, where Rome was, it switched away from its republican system to like an imperial system, but it kept the facade of a republican system for a while. Just like America now is going through the same transition. Um, uh, Caesar would uh, he would he would center power to himself just like during the Bush years he started issuing executive orders inordinately and he was he was starting to make decisions apart from Congress and acting like a dictator although unofficially hmm. Caesar did the same thing so America has been transitioning from this Republican system into this new imperial system where power centered in one man. And so that's happening more and more. Um, and that's why we just talk about democracy dying now. You know, are, do our votes count anymore? Is the election cycle useless? This is what Rome, Rome was going through the same thing because the, the, the Republican, Republican system was a facade more and more. And it starts with Augustus. He was really the first emperor. Looking backwards, the historians have named Augustus as the first emperor. So, excuse me, same thing happening now. Um, I think I think I've almost covered everything. So are, are we going to have Emperor Trump here within the next six months or so? No, that's the idea. No, no one, <laughs> this, yeah, Augustus didn't call himself the emperor. He called himself the very first citizen. He didn't say I'm the emperor, um, but he said I'm the princeps. Um, but yeah, the idea would be that 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 um, more or less everyone wink wink knows that the Republicans the Republic's gone, but no one can say it out loud because mm -hmm. who dare to say that? Mm. Yeah, um, and. No, there's, there's more to this, but um, let me show you one. This is one thing I wanted to, another thing I wanted to show you. Let's make sure I hit everything on this slide. I did. Oh, oh this is a neat one too. I should talk about this one. Um, the Cato's, this is, we're going to go back a bit, but the Cato's, there was Cato the Elder and Cato the Younger. Um, Cato the Younger was the grandson of Cato the Elder. And so they both, as Rome was losing its um, ultra, or 
civic virtue, it's altruistic uh, Republican virtue or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it became more um, uh, autocratic. They had these like figures like Caesar and Mark Anthony and, uh, and Augustus. They were taking, they were centering more and more power to themselves. The, the Catos were, they were pure Republican. And they said, we need to, we need to like go back to the actual principles of the Republic and go by them and just go by those principles. And so they, they, they were hated, but they were so pure in their Republican ideals that, that they kind of like had a, a following, but the, the, the oligarchs hated them. And so you have the Pauls doing the same thing at the same time. You have uh, Ron Paul, uh, Ron Paul Senior. You know he would he was a libertarian candidate. He wanted to you know we need to go back to Republican ideas and get away from all this like you know um, the the gold standard needs to come back again. You know we know all the thing. But then he has his son Rand Paul, similarly uh, still kind of carrying on the banner just like the Cato's did. I thought that was pretty cool. There's so many Roman figures that you can go back to. Um, there's Cicero, and there's there's so many. And the more you look, you're more like, oh, look, that that's this person over here, or that person over here. And they really have all these resonances in chronological order with each other. Even the major thrusts and the major the major dynamics of the empire that were going on, the forces behind it, they're happening in America too, in parallel. Um, and then this is, um, I'm almost done. I'm actually pretty happy I made through all this in one thing. Okay, this is this is um this is a painting. This is it's kind of spooky. This is a painting on the the Capitol, the rotunda, the the the, the Capitol building in Washington D.C. And this is the um there we go. Okay, this is on the the very top of it. If you if you if you're inside the floor of Congress and you look up, this is what you'll see. It's called the apotheosis of George Washington, which means the deification of George Washington. So they actually painted something in the Capitol building and they call it. George Washington being made a god. And so <laughs> what's so interesting about it is you'll see that there, that's the, the Roman fasces. So next to him is that, that lady holding that uh, axe. So that's a Roman thing. And it, it, it's, it's a symbol of Roman power. In fact, the name fascist, like Mussolini and the fascist, the, the name fascist comes from that fasces. And Mussolini took that, fa that fasces as a symbol. It just mm -hmm. meant a symbol of authority. And it's very Roman. So you're, you're making connections here between the deification of George Washington and Rome. And here you have like um, that, that, that whatever that person is holding the shield, it's kind of like a, a Roman kind of looking, there's an eagle on her head, very Roman looking. Um, and the, why this is significant also is because um, Romulus, remember Romulus founded the city of Rome. Rome is named after Romulus. So the story about Romulus was is that he was actually taken up into a cloud and made into a god. So the, the Romans would say Romulus is one of our gods. And he, they, they say that he was taken up into a cloud and made one. And here you have George Washington in his painting sitting on a cloud being, it's called the deification of George Washington, directly paralleling what happened to Romulus. Um, and remember, Washington, D.C. is named after Washington, just like Romulus is, uh, Rome is named after Romulus. It's really like a lot of stuff going on. So I think the early Americans, they knew and they still, I saw a lot of these parallels. Or if they didn't, it's amazing that it happened anyway. <laughs> right, right. You know, like, um, and then uh, anything else here? No, and these are some quotes I found. Um, if you look at below, this is from Cicero. The Republic, the Senate, the law are worth defending at any price, and therefore I go to expose myself to the utmost danger. And then you have Patrick Henry saying, give me liberty or give me death. Um, and then you have like, um, the immortal gods have given us the Republic as a blessing. Is it our duty to defend it with our blood? That's Cato. And then Nathan Hale, I only regret that I have one, one life to lose for my country. So like what I'm showing is that the Romans would give their life for the Republic just like Americans would give their life for liberty. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of similarities between their fervor for the Republic, um, which is which is there. And I think, my goodness, I think I made most of it. Um, the only thing oh, I, I want to mention also, the only thing I want to mention also is, um, 
our current times. All right, this is the last. This is the last segment. I promise. Okay, and then and I'll shut up. Um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the Romans um, they end up conquering most of the ancient world by the time of Christ. Um, you know, the, 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 the Romans called the Mediterranean Ocean. They called it um, Maris Nostrum, which means our sea. Like they just owned everything, and they just saw that as their little pond in the backyard, the, the Mediterranean Ocean. So they they had complete control, and the the, the people they subjugated just had to pay taxes and, and just do what Rome said. Um, they, there was, it was very hard for them to, to, uh, to win any concessions from Rome. Anyway, the, the Roman elites at that time are like the globalists now. Like the, the, the system of globalism, really, like it's not just an American phenomenon, but it is a Western elitist phenomenon that we've implemented as Western, uh, Western society. And it really stems from Americans' power. Like um, it stems from World War II. World War II um, launched America into Europe, and then with the Marshall Plan, we've established our our power in in Europe and our in our in our, our, uh, our authority, our dominance, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that turned into um, that that alliance between Europe and America that sets the stage for globalism. And um, now the globalists, all like all the companies that that um, that that we call the globalist companies that you know have so much power and like the the big tech companies, all those things, they're all they're all Western things. So really, the globalists now are like the Romans then, which is you know you can see a parallel for it. Um, and um, even though I just told you that um, Trump and uh, and Augustus Caesar have all those parallels, they do. But um, this is very complicated. And I, I won't explain it here. But also Nero does as well. So um, boy. Um, Nero and Trump, they both remember Nero was uh, he was despised by the political ruling elites because he was an actor. Nero liked to sing and act. And Trump likewise was a reality show star, a reality TV uh, show star who is very distasteful for for the upper class Americans to to, to, to kind of like stomach the idea that their president was a reality show star, like this lower this form of lower entertainment that was kind of like beneath you know uh, the upper class. Nero had the same thing. Um, Nero, um, of course, there was the great fire of Rome. And the question was, did Nero start it or not? Um, we had the COVID years, which really were, it's like the great fire of the world, but it was it was a fake virus. But the idea was, was it real or not? Was it was it manufactured or not? And it ended up uh, destroying a large part of the global economy. And it was done so as the Great Reset. Remember that the Great Reset was something that we're gonna um, we're gonna take. The, the premise was the unstated premise was that we're gonna take a lot of the the resources away from the lower classes, and we're gonna we're gonna put them in to the upper classes by by this reset and they called it they called it the environmental great reset or whatever but the idea was is that you all need to stop sucking up these resources and get into your smart city and shut up and then we're going to have more of a rich ground to play around with uh, you know whatever they what they wanted for but that was what happened with covid well nero's fire was the same thing so nero they said um uh, did nero start a fire or not we don't know but nero built a huge palace after the fire was over he sucked up all the land that was destroyed and he built his big opulent palace to himself called the Domus Aurea. And when the Romans saw that, they knew that, that Nero started the fire, right? And so Nero quickly cast blame onto the Christians for doing so, just like the COVID era was passing blame onto the unvaxxed or whoever else, the MAGAs. There was, there was this finger pointing going on during that time four years ago. Um, and um, there's more going on with Nero. Um, but So Nero, um, he, um, he was very perverted and he took a little boy named Sporus and he... Um, <laughs> he, he he mutilated the poor little boy and pretended he was of the opposite gender and married this little uh, poor kid, just like we have this going on in America now with this this um this uh, dysphoria of gender, right? Um, it's 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 a Nero parallel. It's happening like Nero was doing that, as it's happening in America. I can go on and on, but I should shut up. Um, that's another maybe I can do. That's a that's a more co controversial topic, and I don't want to get into it. But um, my point is that even our, our times now look like we're in the times of, of Nero and. 
my goodness, I should shut up. Okay. Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, first of all, I do want to do some videos in the next few weeks um, just for our Patreon um, viewers. So okay. that, that's a cool idea. So if you have a controversial topic, maybe we can we can save sure. it for that. I, I, I like that idea. I think that's a it's one that YouTube might not like. So, well, we won't put it on YouTube. And uh, that sounds good. I think that's something to look right. forward to in the future. And, and I mean, and, and there's so much, as you said, there's so much here. Um, and I, I and I know the people, the people listening are like, Dominic, you talk too fast. But I but know. No, <laughs> rewind but, it, rewind it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put put it at half speed, maybe. Um, but right. but no, no, it's it's um it's it's super fascinating. I I love it. And and I think that to me. As always, whenever we do these shows, it really makes me want to go and learn more. And I think that's what's cool to me. That's like, you know, this is really interesting stuff. And this was much less faith based, obviously, or almost not at all. Right. This was really historical. But but to me, that that's that's really fascinating. I mean, I, I, I just learned a lot about Roman history that I didn't know before and and how it somehow reflects today is strange. You know, I, I don't know what mm -hmm. the right word is. I mean, kind of bizarre, but also really neat. <laughs> and it is, it shows you, yeah, and God is almighty. I, I, right. These things are, they're really, really, really fascinating. And no, I love it. And I, I mean, I guess, I mean, before we wrap up, I know it's, it's all already an hour eight. I mean, how, okay. how, how do people, how do people, you know, see more of this stuff? And I, I know you're, you're, I think you're writing a book. Are you writing a book about this, this type of topic? I am. So I'm writing a book right now about, um, uh, the, just, it's about church history in the Old Testament. I'm culminating mm -hmm. with Vatican and the books of the Maccabees. And the focus of the book is just in this, what, what you see before you is what, what I'm going to write a book on, except I have 400 pages of details that I'm trying to craft together. Um, it's it's just about, it's getting close to done. I'm going to say hi to my editor, Fran. Thanks, Fran, for helping out. Um, and um, so that it's coming along uh, pretty well. And then, excuse me, depending on how that goes, I do want to write, I, I have a lot more to do. I, I want to write a book about um, the prophecies of Daniel, which is we talked about in one of the prior uh, podcast. And then I'm going to do one about Roman America as well, because um, I have to get this into there. But if you want to see more about um, these things, you can go to our website. Oh, I have I have a graphic for that. Well, actually, no, um, I do. Where's it at? Uh, I'll show you. I'll put my website name on, on the screen so you can see it. Right. It's a www.maccabeanuprising.com. Where is the thing at now? It's on one of these things here. Um, this is it right there. Okay. Let me take this thing off in a minute here. You can see it. Yeah. And Perfect. me. Okay, I'm going to move me out of the way. Oh boy, so much going on in the screen. All right, there we go. All right, so yeah, so www.maccabeanuprising.com, and that's the website where you can go to find Roman America, Old Testament church history, and a lot more as well. I have videos linked onto there. I have, I have, a, I have a PDF, a 500-some page PDF that has everything in it. The a part of that, I'm turning, it, turning that into my book, but I have to... The, the PDF is just like really rough writing. I wrote like late at night and it's not, it's there's misspellings in it and my grammar's bad, but but I'm taking that text and I'm polishing it up to make a book out of it. Um, so that's that's part of that there. Um, also, I do want to say that, oh, I want to ask you, um, do you think this is going to come out before uh, Lent or not? Because um, if yeah. it comes out, we'll do it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm hoping my book should be done within a month and I'll have ah. the link on this website. So you, if you go to the website, it, like as soon as you log on, you'll see the book. And that'll be there. No, it's so, super. Uh, it's super exciting. I, I know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that that, that they're so. You, know, you see history books, and you see you know things out there. You know, a dime a dozen, but it's hard to know. You know, who wrote them? You know, you see John John right. Smith wrote this book. You know, so so it's nice to put a name to that. You know, a face to 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 this book, and it's 
my goodness, is it is it interesting? I mean, I, I think I, I I am sure we're gonna have some of our some of our listeners and viewers here um, going to the website and, and checking out the book because um fascinating stuff. And, and I think again, I think what what's what's beautiful about it is is how it all works. You know, it, it's kind of yeah. like when you, when you you look up at the stars, you look at the trees, you look at the mountains, and it all works. You know, God God. It, it does. God did a good job. He did a good job. You know, that's a, <laughs> oh they said in the Bible, right? You know, and God saw what yeah. he did and it was good. And I think that's a, oh, it's a neat, that's a neat thing. And I, and I think that that's something yeah. that, um, that I appreciate when people can, can put that into perspective and to see, to see the glory of God. And that's what we're all about. Right. I, I agree. I mean, this shows, um, the reason why the, the Roman America stuff isn't really, it's not like you're right. It's not about our faith, except that like, um, it's, it was part of the ancient world and, and the people had to deal with Rome. Um, but I love how the the, core, the nucleus, the core, the most important thing here for us right now is, I think, to see those parallels between Vatican II and the books of the Maccabees, because that has an immediate effect on our life. Like if, mm -hmm. if you're watching this and you're not a traditional Catholic, that calls you out of the Novus Ordo, because you see that the, the second altar and the abomination are are happening in our own time, and it calls you to get out right away. So that is the most important thing for us now. But it also, in, in, in having the old, whole Old Testament prefigured church history, it also gives glory to God and his church because it shows you that like the church actually says who she says she is. And we all know that by faith, but this kind of shows you that by, by linking it to the Old Testament in chronological order, the implications pop right out. Um, and so it's just so wonderful. It glory, I mean, God's omnipotence you know, it hits you in a, in a way that like hasn't hit me before because you actually see more details to how powerful he is. Um, and the thing with about Roman America though is that it puts America, I think, in its proper place. Um, like, um, you know, like how how did the early Christians or how did the like how did the the Jews of the Old Testament how did they view Rome? Well, now we have like this corollary. Like, it's neat because like we can see if America has all these. You, you can see like the idea of republicanism in the Old Testament in, in in Rome, and you can see it in American history, and it it gives a proper context. I think. Um, hmm. Which, I, which I, 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 that's why I find that useful too. Um, um, like when I was doing these parallels um, in the Old Testament, I loved it because I was reading the Old Testament and I was reading like church encyclicals and I was reading the lives of the saints and, and seeing these connections. And it was so cool because it was, it was, it was glorious. It was, it was uplifting. It was edifying. And then I was, I got depressed because I mean, when I started seeing parallels with Roman America, I was fascinated by them. But it was like, oh man, it's just a bunch of like secular stuff you know <laughs> like you know like but I, I wanted to do them just just the same because i because i want to document them but i was less i i didn't feel like elevated inside i felt like like mm -hmm. okay they're it's amazing it's amazing but like i was just like it's just earthly stuff you know if that makes sense anyway no totally yeah, yeah talking again thank you again for having me on and um i really appreciate this uh, so much to, to give me a platform to do this because it's these things spin around in my head and um i try to document them and um, it's so nice to be able to get them, get some airtime for them. So thank you. No, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I mean, I, I, I really thoroughly enjoy it. Um, we hope to do more with you um, here in the coming coming weeks, coming months. Um, everyone, let us know. Co co comment. Let us know if you want to see more from Dominic, if you want to see more of this content. Um, I find it interesting. I mean, I mean, I, I want to see more, but you tell us. I mean, we, we yeah. want to hear from you. You, know, you guys are the ones that matter. So tell us if you want to see more from Dominic. Um, and and please go and support Dominic. And hey, go buy the book when it's out. I mean, that again, you know, these are things I know we talk about every time. But um, support people yeah. who are creating good content. That that I don't need to say more. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat that drum too much. But there aren't many people doing it. So the the few people that are, please go go support them whatever way you can. And, and as I've said so many times for us, 
if it's on Patreon, if it's two bucks a month, man, that makes a big difference. It really does. Two bucks a month is that's awesome. And, and that I think most people can do that. I can do that. You know, I can give someone two bucks a month. And that's that's what I think we need to think of. You know, just these little little bit of a help. And 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 who knows, you know, if you get two bucks a month, if we all do it for Dominic, Dominic could go write some books that are gonna Maybe they'll go change the world, right? Who knows, right? We'll, we'll see what, what what we can do. We're gonna do the best we can. We're gonna do the best we can to glorify God. But yeah, you know, help 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 out Dominic. Go over and and again, hey, go check out that website. See when his when his um when his book is out. Dominic, do you have any? Do you have social media or anything, or should people just kind of keep an eye on your website? Um, I do. I do. I, if uh, you go to Facebook, I have a page. I don't check it very much. I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't yeah. go there. But the YouTube, you can go to YouTube. Um, or write me an email if you want to, you know, communicate. It's just um, it's uh, uprising at gmail.com. So it's the same thing you see below me, uprising, but it's just at gmail.com. You can do that. Um, basically, that's how you can yeah, you can contact me. Right. <laughs> and you can find me on find me personally on Facebook if you want to do that. Um, you can you know I I, I probably will respond. Um, so perfect. Yeah. Awesome. No, no, that, that's, that's good enough. No, perfect. Well, well, again, Dominic, thank you so much for coming on. And, and we hope to have you on again, again soon to talk about one of these many. As you said, you go through this so fast. It's like, oh, well, there's another topic that I'm sure could be another hour show. Oh, you know? my God. And, there, and there's a topic that could be another hour show. And there's another topic. So I, I have no doubt we'll have you on again. I always appreciate it when you come on. And okay, great. <laughs> until next time. God All bless right. you. Thanks, Kevin.